Thanks for downloading this podcast brought to you by the Respiratory Structure and Function Assembly of the American Thoracic Society. In this podcast on lung regeneration and stem cell biology, we shall hear from Professor Darrell Cotton, a founding director of the Center for Regenerative Medicine at Boston University and Boston Medical Center. Professor Cotton is also a professor in the Department of, De- of Medicine and Department of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine. His research focuses on stem cell biology, gene therapy, and biomedical engineering. Professor Cotton is funded by the National Institute of Health for a national repository of lung disease-specific induced pluripotent stem cells. He has also received partnership grants from the American Thoracic Society and Alpha One Foundation. Welcome, Professor Cotton, and thank you for participating in this podcast. You're giving a lecture on lung regeneration in the Discovery Series of Lectures at the upcoming American Thoracic Society Conference in Denver. Um, my, question, my first question to you is, how far has lung regenerative medicine come, and what do you propose for the future? Well, I, I think lung regeneration has come a long way in terms of basic research animal models. Um, and for our patients, lung regeneration remains a ways off and largely a job that our patients still do for themselves while we support them. So I think lung regeneration is the great hope and um, of researchers and doctors, and there's no more hopeful time in history of lung research than right now for accomplishing lung regeneration in the years ahead. So what I mean is um, if you think about the last 50 years of lung research, we've really come a long way uh, beginning with understanding structure, that means physiology and function of the lung, and we're just now starting to um, move away from the idea that we need to do no harm or protect the lung so patients can heal themselves, and we're now going to move into the era, I hope, uh, harnessing the knowledge that's been gained with actually augmenting or accomplishing increased repair of lung diseases. So I hope a few years' time we will no longer just put uh, let's say, patients with ARDS on lung ventilators and uh, use our research to do protective lung ventilation. We, we minimize the harm we do with our ventilator settings, and I hope in a few years' time we'll actually be able to start treatments, whether they're based on drugs or cells, that can activate the repair processes of the lungs and accomplish true lung regeneration rather than just self-repair. So one of the important cells in regenerative medicine are lung stem cells. Um, And several studies are seeking to identify or validate proposed lung stem cells and progenitor candidates in proximal and distal areas of the lung. So in your opinion, do you think multiple progenitors specific for populating different areas of the lung exist, or perhaps a single lung stem cell candidate is more likely? I think this is an excellent question. It's one we continue to debate. And um, we hoped for many years uh, and and, and tried in vain, I think, to search for one single master lung stem cell or pluripotent cell of the lung. And there were um, uh, some hints that that might be achievable, but but those uh, hints, unfortunately, um, were not reproducible. And so today we're left with a model of the lung that, does favor, at least with all evidence to date, that they're regional dedicated cells that are best equipped to repair their region of the lungs. In other words, probably a tracheal progenitor cell is very good at repairing tracheal lineages. So, for example, the basal cell 
within the tracheal epithelium can make a copy of itself or differentiate into secretory and ciliated cells. But in the alveolar region or the air sacs, there are different dedicated progenitors, uh, and most, most well-studied would be the type 2 pneumocyte that makes a copy of itself or differentiates to a type 1 pneumocyte. So that, that would be the extreme uh, binomial examples of two totally distinct progenitor cells that are regional and, and um, uh, there's no evidence that there's a master pluripotent stem cell in the lung that can do everything. that can make a trachea and an airway and an air sac. But there's a lot of attempts to try to find such a cell, and that would certainly be very exciting indeed. I think um, what has advanced is the understanding that beyond the, the, the very overly simplified example I just gave, that there are many, many more gradations of regionally specified progenitor cell subsets. So as one w moves down the airways, there's an incredible diversity and heterogeneity of cell types that w really wasn't appreciated until the last five years or so. And many of those cellular subsets possess this capacity, if needed, um, to enter the cell cycle, proliferate, and, and participate in repairing an injured lung epithelium. So when I learned uh, lung biology as a, as a student and a pulmonary fellow, we, learned, we were taught that the lungs normally is an extremely quiescent organ with very low rates of cell proliferation in the lung. And, and while that's true, we now understand that when the lung is injured, you can recruit a tremendous number of cell subtypes out of that quiescent state into the cell cycle, and whether it's a secretory cell or a basal cell or a type 2 pneumocyte, uh, there's a lot of cells around that can lend a helping hand to the lung proliferate and differentiate, and we, we call those properties uh, facultative progenitors. And then, depending on the severity or the type of lung injury, for, for example, a very severe influenza ARDS-like injury might be so severe that, that you can't really harness, uh, there's not many cells left to harness to repair the lung, and so then you really recruit maybe some extra special cells into the cell cycle, and those cells aren't easy to detect, but in these very, very severe injuries, we know from recent uh, publications in rodent models of influenza, for example, um, that different cell types emerge that look more stem-like or more progenitor-like and might even have a broader differentiation repertoire to form some airway and air sac uh, cell types. So I'd say our understanding is still emerging, but to date, uh, from my personal opinion, I haven't found reproducible evidence that suggests that we've that anybody has found a real pluripotent or, or broadly multipotent lung stem cell that remains a, an organ repaired by regional specific um, progenitors and, and cells that can re-enter the cell cycle to help repair a lung. Okay, so still keeping up with the, with the concept of stem cells, um, reprogramming has paved a way for induced pluripotent stem cells. What role do induced pluripotent stem cells play in terms of advancing our knowledge of stem cell biology and possible future translation into generic or personalized medicine? I think uh, the discovery of how to reprogram cells into an induced pluripotent stem cell uh, made by Shinya Yamanaka, uh, for which he was awarded the Nobel Prize in 2012, just six short years after he discovered this technique, that, that discovery has really changed and advanced our thinking of cell fate and uh, pluripotent stem cell biology. So it's an, a remarkably helpful discovery and has allowed many scientists in the field to understand the basic networks that govern pluripotency, uh, what gives 
a cell a network or a systems uh, biology understanding of how to act and behave. And so, and so that's very important, not just uh, obviously for lung research, but for all of developmental biology and stem cell biology. What those cells have, have offered lung research um, is, is evolving. These are just the very, very early days of trying to understand how a pluripotent stem cell, such as this, the, brief, the term IPS cell, induced pluripotent stem cell, so what this IPS cell has to offer um, lung research uh, requires that the cells first be differentiated or changed in the laboratory into cells we recognize as lung, and, and achieving that is no easy task, and, and the cells that are prepared that one would like to call lung, you know, we're really not sure whether the cells are, are lung or not. So it's a very difficult and involving field um, that depends on creating cells in a laboratory ditch that are outside any structure we recognize as the lung, so they're not in a three-dimensional alveolus, or they're not participating in gas exchange, they're just cells being derived in the laboratory dish that express perhaps a certain genes or markers that are specific for um, lung lineages in vivo, and we're trying to understand whether those markers or genes are, are really uh, enough to tell us that the cell is a lung cell. And so, so this is what iPS cells have to offer lung, lung research. The, the promise uh, to be realized is that if, in fact, the cells are convincingly turned into lung, meaning an iPS cell can become a type 2 pneumocyte, let's say, for example, that would be extremely significant for lung research because it would now mean you could take a patient's um, blood cell, for example, reprogram it using uh, Shinya Yamanaka's invention. Out would come an induced pluripotent stem cell. That induced pluripotent stem cell could grow uh, inexhaustibly in the undifferentiated state, so, so you could ship many vials of those cells around the world to collaborators. There would be no limit to how much you could grow those cells up in the undifferentiated state. And those undifferentiated cells then differentiated forward into a new type 2 pneumocyte would, we hope, represent a little miniature model of the type 2 pneumocytes that would have been found in that, that donor patient. And, for example, if that donor patient carried a mutation that was responsible for the donor patient's lung disease, that, that lung cell derived from the iPS cell would then recapitulate that patient's disease because it carries the gene mutation. And so you could replay over and over in the lab the emergence of a patient's disease so that we could understand it. And if we could understand it there, the hope is we could then develop targeted drugs that could reverse or ameliorate that disease onset. And most importantly, that targeted drug therapy might be tailored to that individual patient. That's a concept often called precision medicine. So you could develop drug therapies given back to the original donor patient that would work in that patient's genetic background for his or her disease. And so the, um, we can, can talk more in the subsequent interview about all the other inventions that could arise from iPS cells for t treating patients. But you could start to really dream about these disease models and how they would mimic your patient's disease and reveal treatments that were tailor-made for that patient. So the concept of personalized medicine is really, really interesting and really fascinating. And I know a lot of uh, movement has been gathered in this area in terms of driving it forward. Um, the question I would just like to ask is, based on your, on your knowledge, um, do you mind sharing any milestones in either R&D or preclinical studies um, which you are actually able to talk about of sure. induced pluripotent stem cells being used to treat or correct 
inherited lung diseases? Yes, so for, for um, these kind of discoveries to get to the bedside and be clinically used, there, there need to be several milestones met, and, and maybe we're halfway in meeting those milestones so the, the, pay, the cells aren't being used yet for lung disease patients, but actually they are in a clinical trials beginning already in Japan to treat uh, a blindness condition called macular degeneration. So for, for the cells to be used for lung disease research, the first milestone to be accomplished was the cells needed, there need to be reproducible protocols for making stem cells from our patients. So I'd say that milestone has been accomplished very nicely a few years ago with a demonstration from a variety of labs that you could take any patient with a lung disease, whether it was an inherited lung disease like cystic fibrosis or, or just tobacco smoke-induced emphysema unrelated to, to gene defects, one could take an easily accessible sample of cells from a patient, perhaps a peripheral blood draw, just a teaspoonful of blood, for example, or perhaps a skin biopsy to grow some skin fibroblasts, and those easily accessed patient samples could be reprogrammed into these induced pluripotent stem cells that, that looked very similar to the uh, embryonic stem cells that people had been studying for years. So that milestone, reprogramming cells to make a pluripotent stem cell from patients with lung disease was accomplished a few years ago with a, a variety of publications from several labs. And that process is now routine. So milestone number one going very well, I would say. Milestone number two is to be able to manipulate those cells. For example, the two uh, most common genetic mutations that cause lung disease are the cystic fibrosis mutation in, in the gene um, CFTR, and uh, also the mutation in the gene encoding alpha-1 antitrypsin, so causing predisposition to emphysema. Those two most common uh, genetic causes of lung disease have been described years ago, and the hope is that one would develop gene corrective technologies that can correct, let's say, the single base pair defect responsible for alpha-1 antitrypsin de uh, deficiency, or one could reinsert the three base pairs that have been deleted in the CFTR gene that causes cystic fibrosis. So that hope uh, uh, represents milestone number two that has been achieved uh, recently in iPS cells. So the experiments that have now been published are iPS cells derived uh, first from an alpha-1 antitrypsin deficient patient, underwent a technology in the laboratory dish called gene editing, where some tailor-made um, nucleases that cut the genome right in the locus that's mutated, allowing repair of that genetic lesion were successfully accomplished in the laboratory of David Lomas and Ludovic Vallier in England. And those investigators showed, therefore, what we call gene editing, correcting the genetic lesion responsible for alpha and antitrypsin deficiency in iPS cells. And so those iPS cells should now behave normally when differentiated into lung or liver, and, and uh, several labs have differentiated those corrected cells into liver, showing correction of the disease-causing phenotype, at least in vitro. And for cystic fibrosis, just this past month, Brian Davis's laboratory, uh, working with our lab, published a paper in Stem Cell Reports showing similar gene editing and gene correction of the CFTR mutation that causes cystic fibrosis, also performed in iPS cells that were made by reprogramming a patient's uh, cells, a patient with cystic fibrosis, lung diseases cells. And so milestone number two, gene editing, gene correction, I'd say, is also going 
very, very well, very impressive advances being made just in the last uh, few years. And um, that's all good news for bringing iPS cells to uh, clinical applications. Now, the remaining milestones, the, the two most important ones, so I'm talking about four milestones here. Milestone number three is to differentiate now those cells, iPS cells, with or without the gene correction successfully performed. To differentiate those cells forward into lung cells is really a huge hurdle remaining that limits the progress in this field. And, and the progress is going ex very fast, very well, from several labs coming up with recipes of how to push those gene-corrected iPS cells forward into lung epithelial lineages that, that uh, might be recognized by pulmonologists and, and lung scientists as, as being truly lung. And that's going well, but the cells, nobody's really found a way to make large numbers of pure populations of cells that are very mature, that look like type 2 pneumocytes or functional other cell types in the lung. And so that's, uh, I would say, an inefficient, um, finicky process still, and even the best recipes are, are somewhat finicky um, for preparing lung lineages for my PSL. So milestone number three is a work in progress. Uh, fortunately, the progress is going very well, but there's a ways to go before those lineages will be truly clinically relevant. And then the last milestone is up in the air. It's the milestone of engraftment, that if we complete all the milestones in this technology and iPS cells are turned into uh, powerful, functional lung cells uh, in unlimited quantities, let's say, and the genes that cause disease are corrected in those cells, then those cells still exist uh, to date in the laboratory. And uh, it's hard to know what breakthrough will be needed to engraft those cells into a person's body, whether that would involve injecting the cells through a bronchoscope and lodging them in a diseased portion of the lung and having them actually survive and live. That's uh, really an unfulfilled dream, and that milestone would need to occur for these cells to be used in vivo. Or um, there's other exciting work from a number of teams engineering three-dimensional functional lung tissues or even whole bioartificial lungs for transplantation that, that uh, would be made entirely out of these differentiated iPS cells. So true autologous lungs generated in bioreactors in the lab made out of patients' iPS cells differentiated forward into lung, reconstructed, uh, ventilated in a laboratory, and those lungs then returned to that original donor patient would probably recognize the self and would not be rejected. Of course, the lungs would have to function very, very well, and the cells would have to be very advanced indeed for that to function. And so this last milestone I'm talking about, in a nutshell, how to deliver these cell types back into the body and be tolerated and function that remains a, a very high hurdle indeed, that milestone. Um, I don't know when that's going to be solved, but people are working on it. And then without meeting any of these milestones, I would say the other application of iPS cells, which is not to treat patients but to predict drug treatments for patients, that milestone is going very, very well. There are cells in the lab, even if they're immature lung cells, that are already being tested by a number of groups for their ability to predict how a drug cocktail would perform for that individual patient. And then uh, for other diseases like arrhythmias, uh, patients have been treated already based on the predictive models of how their iPS cells perform in the laboratory. So that milestone is, is being realized, but it's, uh, it's not part of the four milestones that I described to you. So the promise, from what I can gather, is 
really looking good. Um, the future is bright, especially for the patients of um, suffering from emphysema and um, and IPF. Um, but one thing that's really important as well in terms of the field is being able to have access to some of the cells and materials that are critical for sort of re replicating um, some of the published studies. Um, I know from your lab that you advocate an open source biology approach, and I would like to know what motivated you doing or after your training to adopt this research ethos. Yes, that's. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's really open source biology is really an important principle, uh, especially when one deals with uh, cells that grow forever ever in the lab and could be used by anyone in the world. This is not a limiting reagent, and uh, open source biology is a philosophy we champion which basically means the sharing of one's knowledge, reagents, cells, um, widely without exclusivity. And I think that kind of approach helps uh, a team, many teams from around the country, advance science much faster than any one team can, can do the work. So the, the way we came up or, or embraced this philosophy, I think, was just really to be in touch with why any graduate student or postdoc really goes into a life of science and that the reasons most of us pick to go into science is because we're curious uh, and we're motivated and passionate about advancing new knowledge that might help somebody, that might help uh, a patient uh, we've never met or uh, a future generation. And so with those, if those really are the motivators for our work, I think open source biology makes sense. So I think if one views that um, the cells are really not a limiting reagent, it can be shared by anyone, and if one keeps in mind that the original reasons we went into science is to try to advance new knowledge and help patients, then it, it makes sense to share these reagents because uh, it takes so long to develop these projects, it takes so many people working for so many years, that it's, uh, it, it's very likely that somebody else somewhere will think of something to do with cells uh, one lab has made and that's going to open the field for everyone, including the original uh, deriver of the cells. And so the patients are really counting on us, and the fastest, best way to do the work is to share the cells. And, and certainly if our lab were to disappear overnight, at least I would uh, rest assured uh, today that um, many other labs would have our cells and the work would continue regardless of, of what happens to me and my lab. Life is just too short for us to accomplish all the work that we have to do with any one lab, and we need to help, and we recognize that, and hence we promote open source biology. I believe we all agree that the future of utilizing stem cell biology in lung repair and regeneration is definitely bright, thanks to investigators such as Professor Darrell Cotton. For the latest updates on stem cell research in pulmonary diseases, a recent open access publication on the CFTR gene correction in cystic fibrosis using induced pluripotent stem cells is available in stem cell reports. To hear more from Professor Cotton, we encourage you to register for his Discovery Series lecture on lung regeneration at the American Thoracic Society Conference in Denver. And this will take place on the 18th of May, 2015. Um, this is Sean Ojo, and thank you for listening.